from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. Honing and crafting that fourth wall that Ron Himes taught me about. And I shocked 1,200 students into silence. Were, were these kids just freaked out? They were totally freaked out. I, I, they freaked me out when they were staring at me, eyes open, mouths agape. You do one heck of a screen door. How did you learn how to mimic that? <laughs> I'm Sarah Fenske. Bobby Norfolk is known for telling stories to children. As host of the Emmy Award-winning children's TV show Gator Tales in the 80s and 90s, he learned how to craft the perfect cliffhanger. These days, he weaves in comic relief when telling spooky stories for his Spine Tinglers and Spine Ticklers program. But this Friday, he wants the kids to stay home. That night, his Terrifying Tales Festival debuts at the Chapel, the nonprofit performance venue adjacent to Forest Park. And his goal this time is to scare the pants off adults. And he joins us today to tell us about it. Bobby Norfolk, welcome. Hi, Sarah. So tell us about this Terrifying Tales Festival. What do you have planned? Well, there will be three of us on stage and we will be trying, as you say, to scare the bejeebies out of the adults. And we have an MC, Beverly Buck Brennan, who will provide some of the comic relief and introduce the three storytellers, who will then do set one, short intermission, and then set two. So we'll go into the dark side and then deeper into the dark side. <laughs> so, Bobby, it feels like scaring kids in some ways can be easy. They're just freaked out by some pretty simple things. But how can you scare adults just by telling stories when there's special effects and high production movies, all these things that are designed to scare us all around? How can you even begin to compete with that? The history of storytelling transcends race, ethnicity, and national borders, actually, because from the the whole idea of the spoken word is for the storyteller, usually it would, would be outside around a fire, mm. and then the backdrop would be a cliff wall or grove of trees. And so as the storyteller begins, the fire starts to flicker. And as the story unfolds, all of these archetypes that Carl Jung talked about, those things that reside in our unconscious mind, all of a sudden these caricatures are reflected off of the cliff wall and off of the grove of trees. And people start seeing witches and demons and ogres to her. And they start seeing the hero. They start seeing dragons. And so the imagination just runs wild. And so story transcends technology. So you have a long history of doing this and doing it effectively. I understand your first spooky storytelling event was all the way back when you were in high school. How did you find this calling at that point? <laughs> I stuttered in uh, grade school, part of middle school, and then part of high school. And then I had a drama teacher, Claire Lockman Boyce, at Sumner High School, who told me to study meditation and just calm yourself down, young man. And I started to study transcendental meditation, and the stuttering stopped, and the career began. 
Huh. So how do you get from that to telling spooky stories? Like it feels like you could have told inspirational stories. You could have done stand-up comedy. You kind of felt that that calling towards spookiness pretty early. Actually, I <laughs> I didn't turn down any performance opportunities. My first real job after graduating from OMSO was a National Park Service ranger at the Gateway Arch and the old courthouse. And so I was actually performing living history programs. And then from that, I was moonlighting in comedy clubs like the Funny Bone Comedy Club and other clubs. Then when Big Name Acts came through St. Louis, I would be the headliner, me and a duo called Zach and Mac. And then I started to moonlight again. I started working with Ron Himes and the Black Repertory Theater, honing and crafting that fourth wall that Ron Himes taught me about. And so eventually the St. Louis Storytelling Festival started at the Gateway Arch. And I tell people I did not seek storytelling, it sought me. Mm-hmm. And so I went to my sacred place, which is the library. 398.2 folk tales and fairy tales. And I started to find all of these stories that could transcend all of the different aspects of human imagination. And for some reason, the ghost stories started to resonate. And I didn't want to scare the children too much. And I did, I made that mistake one time when I did The Monkey's Paw by W.W. W. Jacobs. Ooh. And then, yeah, <laughs> The Telltale Heart by Edgar Allan Poe. And I shocked 1,200 students into silence. Were were these kids just freaked out? They were totally freaked out. They freaked me out when they were staring at me, eyes open, mouths agape. And I said, ooh, I took them too deep into the rabbit hole. (laughs) Did you get complaints? I mean, parents saying, my kid can't fall asleep. They're too freaked out. (laughs) No, these ninth through 12th graders were fine with it. They probably were um, reveling at it during the um, times of when the transition between periods of classes and then lunchtime. But so these were not little kids. I mean, you can you can freak out even jaded teenagers. Oh, yeah. Nice. Well, so that actually, this is just set the table perfectly. You have offered today as a, just a special thing for our St. Louis on the Air listeners that you're willing to give a little teaser um, of one of your terrifying tales that you're going to be telling at this storytelling festival that happens this Friday, October 29th. It's taking place at the chapel. Are you up for giving us a, a little teaser here now? Let's do it. Let's do it. It was central Missouri, and Jim had just buried his wife in a pine box. The graveyard was about a half a mile from the cabin. And then Jim was looking out the window, still pining, upset about his wife, Ebby, dying. Their young son, Jacob, was crying, too, in the corner of the cabin. And then, as the dark 30 fell 30 minutes before sunset, an eerie stillness set in into the forest. The eerie stillness started to awaken all the dogs. The owls. And then Jim said, there's something unnatural going on out there. What's happening in that forest? Why don't those dogs and that owl, they they don't sound like they usually do. And then Jim heard something coming on the front porch. Blue. 
Blum. Blum. He said, who's out there? Who's out there on that porch? And then he heard the screen door open. And a knock. Boom. 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 Who is it at the door? Jim said. He said, Jim, it's me, your wife. Let me in, Jim. He said, no, Abby, go back to the grave. Go back to the grave. Jim, open the door. It's cold out here. No, I will not open the door this night. And then Jim looked. The doorknob slowly turned on the door. Jim realized something. He had not latched the door. And the door creaked open. He looked. His son looked. And a skeletal hand came around the door. And then the door opened more. Jim looked into the blackness of the night. And what he saw... Oh, look at the time. I guess I can't tell you. You have to come to the chapel to see what he saw. Oh, wait a minute. Bobby, you can't do that to us. I'm sitting here like chills down my back. And you're just like sort of cutting this story off mid tail. <laughs> That's what we do as storytellers. Oh, Bobby. So, I mean, you are kind of the master at the cliffhanger there. I understand this is something you learned in, in your career doing children's TV. Is that right? That is true. As a matter of fact, the producers of Gator Tales were saying, how can we stop these children from surfing through the networks on these two commercial breaks? I say, always live the protagonist at a cliffhanger. And I say, if you want to find out what happened to Anansi, tune in after these messages. So you're using those same tricks that you perfected on the children of St. Louis. You are employing them today for the St. Louis on the Air listeners. I love it. <laughs> that, that formula works universally. <laughs> Look, the other thing I loved is you do one heck of a screen door. How did you learn how to mimic that? <laughs> My drama teacher said, you make the high sounds in the head, middle sounds in the throat, the deeper sounds in the chest. And so it's all a matter of throwing your voices and it resonates through the skeleton inside your body. And then you use the lips. She said lips, teeth, tip of the tongue, lips, teeth, tip of the tongue. And the vibrations of one's voice resonates through the skeletal structure of the body. And it's a matter of, uh, I would say, 43 years of learning. So it's nothing that I learned overnight. Wow, it's so impressive. And, I mean, just listening to this, I can see how you've made a career in storytelling, which seems like something that would be very hard to to make a career in. But I have to wonder, the pandemic had to have really thrown a monkey wrench into that. This can't work as well on Zoom as it works around a campfire on a, a dark and spooky night. No, it does not. The entire arts community was just shut down, literally, not only regionally, but across the planet. And so my wife, Sherry Norfolk, who is a teaching artist and storyteller, too, and Ken Wolf, the other person that's on Terrifying Tales, we just went to different stores where they sell um, audio and visual equipment. 
And like our downstairs guest bedroom doesn't exist anymore. It is now the studio, the Norfolk studio. And so lighting and sound equipment. But as you said, Zoom has its own type of uh, mentality that people can go in and out of their imaginations on. So I had to reinvent myself. And and so this studio that you created, are you able to do kind of like virtual storytelling now in, in a way you didn't before? Yes, I am able to. It was a matter of survival, Sarah. It was either that or work at Whole Foods. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you made it through. I mean, you survived the pandemic. You figured out how to transition to this new medium. But here you are this Friday. You're going to be back in person. That's got to be exciting. Oh, I love the live performances. As a matter of fact, just last weekend, I was in Mount Vernon, Illinois. And so the first set, it was outside called Baby Brew. That was for the kids and then Witch's Brew for the older people. And it was just incredible. And, you know, these children don't have driver's licenses, and so they stay for witch's brew. And I said, okay. I told the parents, you have been warned. This is for older people. And these kids came up, itty-bitties, hugging me around my knees. I like your storytelling, Mr. Norfolk. (laughs) That's great. So there's kids who can hang with this, but this terrifying tales, this is for adults. It is. And the Chapel Sanctuary for the Arts, even though it's at 6238 Alexander Drive, do not be deceived by that address, people. If you look for Skinker and Wydown, you'll see the Memorial Presbyterian Church at Skinker and Wydown, and then the Chapel Sanctuary for the Arts is just around the corner, about 100 feet. Okay. Well, there's some good practical information. We should also mention um, this is a venue that requires proof of vaccination or recent uh, negative COVID-19 tests. They're also requiring masks, some really good protocols in there. If you're interested, that is happening uh, this Friday, October 29th at 7.30 p.m., Bobby Norfolk, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. I appreciate it. See you there on B-Square. This episode was produced by Laura Hamden with audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Doerr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.